Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant world. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have legendary Houston chef Robert Del Grande coming up in a little bit, but first, I'm joined this week by Nathan Ketchum, uh, my good friend and a local restaurant consultant. Nathan, Nathan, welcome back. How are you? You forgot legendary local restaurant consultant. That's on me. Yes, I agree. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving. Uh, let's talk about the news of the week. No bigger announcement, in my opinion, than the news that Brian Ching, the Dynamo, former Dynamo soccer star, uh, maybe the most uh, well-known ever Dynamo player, certainly their all-time leading goal scorer, is going to open a soccer-themed sports bar basically right next to the stadium, right next to BBVA Compass called Pitch 25, a 25,000-square-foot 25, behemoth with, if you're ready for this, an indoor soccer field and, of course, an outdoor beer garden because you can't open a bar in Houston anymore without an outdoor beer garden. Uh, Nathan, what do you think? Uh, we have a we have a little bit of a celebrity sports bar with Biggio's in the in the Marriott Marquis, but uh, this is this is maybe maybe a little more ambitious in the sense that it's not piggybacking off an existing property or a destination like a hotel. What do you think about Pitch Twenty Five? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I used to go to Dynamo games uh, when he was playing. Loved watching it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, I saw that they were going to have 20 TVs that were going to play uh, soccer games or, or football uh, games at all times, just international games. So it's not like you'd, uh, a regular sports bar where you'd go and there'd be you know, football and, and baseball and basketball games, though they may end up giving in on some of that. Uh, but it, it's just a cool idea. You know, there's different soccer games. There'd be a, a, a possibly a different crowd than a lot of um, other sports bars. So it sounds like a lot of fun to me. He's doing it in a really unique way. He's uh, raising the money on um, uh, yeah, he's, Next he's, Seed. Yep, he's raising about half a million dollars. Obviously, that's not going to pay for the whole thing. Uh, but it does give people who are interested in the project uh the chance to put their money where their mouth is so to speak yeah as of right now he's raised a hundred and a little over one hundred and seventy-eight thousand of the two hundred and fifty thousand minimum he needs to be funded through this next seed it looks like he will get that two hundred fifty thousand pretty pretty easily so it's a it's a cool project um square feet is just absolutely massive uh but if he you know that area of town there's some really great deals to be had I think it could really revitalize that area. Um, you know, there's a lot of really cool things being built over there. I think he'd be really smart to do it at this time. Uh, a giant bar with outdoor beer garden, uh, it's probably a really smart time to do it. Well, and towards that end, I mean, Lucky's Pub is right there. That's a that's a large bar with a pretty good-sized outdoor space. Rodeo Goat, the uh, Dallas Better Burger concept is coming. They're going to have some outdoor space. Truck Yard, the is a big outdoor beer bar, and of course, our beloved sponsor, Eighth Wonder Brewery. They have uh, Wonder World, their gigantic backyard with food trucks and beer and concerts and all that. So, 
you know, Edo is emerging as a nightlife destination. Uh, Chapman and Kirby, the nightclub, has been very successful there. Uh, we've had Morgan Weber on a couple of times. Agricole Hospitality is opening three projects in that area. Uh, this is just one more, one more contribution to an area that's very much up and coming, very exciting. And I like that he's partnered with the Kirby Group on this. You know, they own Wooster's Garden and Heights Beer Garten. Uh, certainly Wooster's is one of my favorite places to hang out. And those guys are veterans. They're very experienced. They're good at making money for themselves. And I think that's the kind of guidance that someone like Brian Ching, who, who obviously knows the soccer and brings a lot of credibility, um, but doesn't have any experience running a bar or restaurant. So those guys bring that expertise. Yeah, and it, it's he's not just going to be located next to you know the Dynamo Stadium. It's also close to Minute Maid and Toyota Center and the George R. Brown. So I mean, it's going to be close to all of those things. People can go before any any game in downtown or the convention you know center. Visitors can go if they're you know MLS fans. They can you know pop on over, or if they're just looking for a, a fun time. Ito is really going to uh, grow up and be a a fun place. Just, I mean, within a year, you, you named it. There's so many things that are going to be opening soon. Uh, and then it's going to be a really uh, good growth spurt for the things that are already currently open. Right. And one of the advantages of having a 25,000 square foot bar is that you can do those corporate events. You know, people that are coming in for conventions or staying at the hotels that want to get out a little bit and have some, have a nightlife experience. Pitch 25 will be well positioned to take advantage of that too. Yeah, and like you said, the, the Wooster's Garden team, they make some great cocktails, so I don't think we have to worry about that aspect of it. I agree. All right, let's move on. I kind of want to leave this to you because I think you're the only person I know who eats at La Peep with any sort of regularity. But the Galleria area La Peep is moving like right down the street from their location on Westheimer to uh, just off of Mid Lane where Eloise Nichols and Bosca Kitchen are. The move is coming later this month, and it will come with a liquor license. So they're going to get, you can finally get mimosas and, and Bloody Marys with your egg dishes. Uh, Nathan, I, I'm, I'm not entirely kidding. I think you're the only person I know who eats at the Peep regularly. Is, is this a good move for them? Well, I think it was the only move. They're, I mean, they were losing their space, um, so they had to move somewhere. Uh, I think it's... A, they wanted to stay close by. It was one of the few locations. They're a little more hidden. They're in the back of that center, uh, that Eloise Nichols and um, Boss, Cat. Boss Cat is in. Uh, but they have a, you know, they're right next to a parking garage, so there's plenty of parking. Um, and then they're going to have the, the liquor license, which is going to help them out. But they're also going to be um, a little more central into the, the actual neighborhood behind Highland Village and things like that, too. So that could help them out little more walkable to a lot of those, those homes um but i mean like you said you, you you mocked me about going to to la peep but my wife and i love it the pancakes are fabulous the the um waffles great uh, my wife loves a lot of the different um you know dishes you know breakfast has become a lot more popular brunches has become a lot more popular um not that la peep has been slow by any stretch of the imagination Anytime we go there, it's packed. Uh, but you never hear people talk about it. Um, now that they, they're going to be able to do um, alcoholic drinks, maybe maybe they'll be on the, the cool end of the, the scale again. But, 
man, their you know their food to me is is just as good as some of these other places that have gotten the uh, the new cool scene uh, brunch places. You mean snooze? You know, I don't want to call them out, but uh, <laughs> you know they've got the same dishes and they've been doing them for years. So I, I don't you know see why one uh, is the place to be and why one's not. But well, I mean, we'll find out. Certainly, snoozes kind of energy and the creativity of some of their their pancakes and their benedicts has, has been good and of course it is nice that you can get a cocktail in the morning seven days a week it's not it, it makes it a little more of an occasion i, I haven't been to la peep in years i haven't really thought about la peep in years but this new location and and whatever changes they're making will definitely get me back in you know so we'll see hey all I'm, all i want in my life are really big fluffy pancakes with butter and syrup so that's what the peep gives me they're great that's that's what i want very good all right the other another news item that i i want to discuss is that for years uh bars and restaurants that operate in a certain section of the heights have had to do so as a club license uh as a diner this really only affects you in that you have to join the club by swiping your driver's license it doesn't doesn't cost any money uh, to join the clubs, but for the restaurants, it comes with a whole host of record-keeping requirements, uh, additional expenses related to the way that they purchase alcohol. Uh, last week, voters approved a proposition that, that strips that away so that bars and restaurants will now be able to operate with regular mixed beverage licenses like their brethren all across the state of Texas. Um, Morgan Weber called it a big day for his company. It's going to it's going to significantly reduce some of their operating costs. Um, Nathan, I think the the big concern from people in the neighborhood is that this is going to mean an influx of chain restaurants um, that it maybe avoided the area because of these increased requirements and costs. What do you think? Are those concerns justified? Do you think that that we're going to see more chains or or fewer independently owned concepts coming into the heights now as a result of this? I don't think that we'll see fewer independently owned uh, places. I do think the uh, there will be more. There will be some chains that come in. Any, uh, I've seen some arguments from some of the restaurateurs that if chains wanted to come in, they would come in. the The, the dry uh, requirements wouldn't stop them. That's just not accurate. The chains don't want to change change their um, their record keeping or the way that they have to purchase alcohol from from store to store. Uh, especially the larger chains, so they would just completely avoid the area, or they would open right outside. Right. That's why, for example, there's a Chili's just south of I-10. Yeah. So now that this has changed, um, you will most likely see a couple larger chains um, open within the within the Heights area. Though I don't think that's a bad thing. Some some chains are really good. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of good ones. There's some high end great chains. There's some low-end great chains. You know, some people like Olive Garden. Um, you know, my grandmother loves Olive Garden. I'm not going to argue with my 85-year-old grandmother. I, I'm not going to disparage your grandmother. Ex- on the exactly. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of Olive Garden lovers in the Heights. Um, I may not be one of them, but it doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of them. Uh, but it it doesn't mean there's going to be this huge influx of, of chilies and Olive Garden and you know, Applebee's people keep yeah. typing Applebee's. I don't, 
I don't even know where there is an Applebee's. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know that Applebee's are... is just vying open locations all around the country um, so, so they can sell dollar margaritas to people. Um, but there, there will be some chains that will, will open in heights over the next few years. But I don't think that's a bad thing. But what this does do is this this helps the independent um, restaurateurs with their record keeping. It helps them lower the cost of uh, buying alcohol since now they can buy it from wholesale vendors. Um, they may be able to, you know, some some restaurateurs that have avoided the heights um, might look at the heights again. Overall, I think this is a good thing. Uh, I think it's a good thing if some some chains decide to open. It's interesting, you know, the Heights has, has seen rapid growth over the last five years. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that it was sort of shade and glass wall and then Liberty Kitchen, and, and now it's, you know, 19th Street is just full of restaurants. Shepherd is filling up with restaurants. White Oak is booming. You know, it, it really has... Um, at least in terms of the pace of openings past Montrose is kind of the place to open inside the loop to the point where it almost feels saturated, but chains were making their way in. I mean, Connie Rosso is, is a, you know, Texas owned chain. I, I, I know Jay Jerrier wouldn't like me describing his company as a chain, but hop is coming to 19th street next year. So I think some of that was already happening. I don't know. I, I don't know how many spaces are left, really. I mean, it, it seems like every uh, every mechanic shop in the Heights is already being turned into a bar or restaurant somewhere. So I don't I don't know that this is going to have that dramatic an effect, but I I know the operators themselves are really excited about it. Yeah, anytime you can, uh, one lower cost is always good. But a lot of these guys have their costs in control already, just with the way they've they've done their pricing and things like that. I mean, it's going to lower costs, so that's going to help. But more than anything, it's going to take a lot of work off of these guys. The the record keeping, the record keeping requirements that they have, um, it's just going to take hours out of their day, which helps. Right. They already they already have 30 hours a day worth of work in a 24-hour day, so this is going to help. All right. Well, in speaking of Heights restaurants that operate as a club license for liquor sales, uh, Southern Goods, Lyle Bento's. I mean, it's kind of like a patio bar with a kitchen in some ways. It's it's it it kind of straddles that line between an ambitious Southern inspired restaurant and a, and a bar with a giant patio. Uh, they had a fire last week uh, that's going to keep them closed for several months. It looks like a, some sort of electrical issue in the kitchen. The kitchen's going to need to be completely rebuilt. The dining room suffered some pretty extensive smoke damage, and I suspect all the whiskey on there back bar is going to have to get spilled out. It's not clear exactly when Southern Goods is going to reopen. They've started a, a GoFundMe to try to raise some money to help their employees out. Although, really, Nathan, I mean, wouldn't you expect that most of their employees will just get a job somewhere else? Yeah, in this environment, they could all have a job today. I mean, what's it like? I mean, I, I don't know if you've worked at a restaurant that had a fire, but you've certainly signed these insurance policies like, like, what's the typical timeline before an insurance company pays out and a restaurant can start to rebuild? It'll really normally depend on your um, insurance company and, frankly, how good your um, your insurance, uh, the person in charge of your insurance policy is. 
because uh, they're going to be the one working um, to get all of the different information, all of the different proof to the company and um, get the adjuster out there, take the photos, make sure, you know, it was um, it, it was evidently an electrical fire. They want to make sure it was, you know, an accident. It wasn't any sort of arson, that it was something that was covered under their policy. I would uh, hope that it would all be within 30 days. The, uh, the way most policies are written, that it has to be um, paid for, uh, paid out within a fair amount of time, but they can they can definitely definitely take advantage of the wording in the policy to to take their time. Uh, so that's where your uh, your policy uh, person in charge of your policy uh, really can come and help uh, get you paid out quick. Well, and I know Lyle and and his chef de cuisine uh, J D Woodward, affectionately known as Nuge, will be doing some pop ups to try to raise some money and keep themselves busy. We'll keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll just hope for good things for Southern Goods. We'll hope, uh, certainly a restaurant I've enjoyed several good meals at since it opened a couple of years ago, and, and uh, one that I'm looking forward to reopening as soon as possible. Yeah, it's a great restaurant. I think their biggest struggle, struggle is going to be that their staff is going to, um, they're either going to have to pay their staff to stay, or their staff is going to go find new jobs in the meantime, and then they're going to have to hire all new staff. Um whenever they try to reopen, it's just a, it's a fight right now for staff. There's so many new restaurants opening and so many jobs for people. Yeah. Especially, and especially in the Heights, right? It keeps growing. Um, all right. Well, that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. You're listening to what's Eric eating. Okay, Nathan, we have two restaurants I would like to discuss this week. Uh, the first is, Pappas Delta Blue Smokehouse. We've talked about this on the show a couple of times before, but essentially, I mean, everyone, I think every Houstonian has probably eaten at a Pappas barbecue at least once. Uh, Mike Pence famously swung by there for uh, a brisket sandwich on his way to the Super Bowl and got mocked for, for choosing it. And it's not surprising that, that barbecue nerds are sort of skeptical about Pappas barbecue. They're part of this tradition of leaner, less smoky, less heavily seasoned barbecue than the central Texas style that has become the dominant wave in Texas uh, barbecue and certainly dominates the Texas monthly top 50 rankings and, and is, I mean, every place you want to talk about Kellen's corkscrew, Ragel's, Papa Charlie's, et cetera, Pinkerton's. Um, they have been, they have been, a, they have not been a part of that. Pappas has not been a part of that, but now they're kind of getting into it with Delta blues. Creekstone beef, prime brisket, good quality pork, heavy seasoning, oiler smoker, the whole thing. We had a pretty good lunch at, at Delta Blues. What were your impressions of the of the concept? So I think it's a it's a really um, kind of a cool concept. It's half um, really quality craft barbecue, half kind of um, steakhousey. Uh, comfort food comfort food you got your fried chicken you got your burgers you got your steaks you got some kind of uh smoke barbecue um infused entrees and appetizers and cocktails uh and some cocktails uh, that i really enjoyed um it's a it's a cool concept uh if it was closer to me i, I would go um uh, a little more often uh, at least until i got sick of it so <laughs> so I think uh, Pappas is kind of mining 
territory. This this road has been sort of uh, pioneered maybe by Killen's STQ, and then I also uh, I think they they're they're taking some elements of what uh, the new Beavers on Westheimer has done. Maybe uh, maybe slots between them a little bit, not quite as upscale as Killen's STQ, which is at least pretty uh, pretty explicitly, at least in the way people um, encounter it as a steakhouse and maybe a little more upscale than than beavers. So it may not be the most creative concept in the world, but but the food is very well executed. I think that's kind of a Pappas hallmark. Yeah, I think uh, the granary in San Antonio is one of the first to do it, and then beavers really... Um, I mean, the original beavers did the same, a lot of the same stuff. Um, then you have the beavers in Westheimer. I think it's just doing it better. Um, and then STQ opened, and they, they're the, one of the first in Houston to do it in kind of a, um, you know, a high end environment. Yeah. I think what's interesting, you know, and, and there are certainly dishes that, that seem straight off the Killen's SDQ menu, right? Those, those fried pork belly bites and a sweet glaze, the, the fried chicken, the chicken fried steak. I mean, all that stuff just seems, you know, to the point where, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of people call it Pappas SDQ. Yeah. Though, if we're being fair, if we're going to give a, Killens for you know credit for, um, you know crispy pork belly with uh, sweet glaze that would be half the restaurants in Houston for the past ten years. Well, and and Haim Barbecue does those pork belly burn ends that uh, in Fort Worth that that have been kind of a signature item for them. So yeah, I guess there's nothing really new under the sun. Uh, I will say that I really did enjoy the food there. I thought the chicken fried steak was good. You had fried chicken. Uh, there was a, a fried quail appetizer in a Nashville-style hot chicken glaze that was just great. Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, the pork belly on the deviled eggs. The uh, Yeah, we had a lot the of really good The jalapeno cheese sausage with the pimento cheese. Yeah, they're making their own sausage. Good. Right. So, yeah, no, I think this is a very promising concept. Um, certainly, Pappas brings a lot of careful technique to everything that they do. Barbecue's a little bit tricky because... You know, you can you can do everything right, and then, you know, the brisket takes either needed a half an hour more or a half an hour less, and there's you don't really know that until you're done cooking it and you slice into the thing. But yeah, barbecue in a sit down restaurant's hard because brisket's best served uh, right after it's done, which is why these restaurants that um, you know serve lunch only until they sell out are so good uh, because when the longer it sits, the drier it gets, and the 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 texture kind of falls apart, um, but with the Papa's des- are oh, man, you made me you, do it. I just made you do it. Papa's uh, with, Delta Blues with Papa's Delta's Blues. The uh, there's kind of a something for every one concept. Uh, the fried chicken was really good. The uh, I didn't get to try your chicken fried steak, but it looked good. Um, supposedly the burgers are great. The uh, Michael Flaherty um, looks like a like a. Uh, high school kid about to ask out his, you know, sweetheart when he's talking about him. Um, he's very excited about him. So, yeah, I think I think that's the other thing that was really surprising is I don't think of Michael Velarde, who's the head chef for Pappas's uh, research and development team, as as like an enthusiastic guy. He was downright giddy when he stopped by our table to talk about some of the work that they've done, and and he presented us with a tray of barbecue and. It's obvious that they've taken a lot of pride in this concept, and and it certainly seems like it's poised to grow. 
Yeah, I think this this restaurant is his baby. I think it shows in the quality of the food. Um, I'm definitely interested in trying a few more items. Uh, so far, everything I've had has been been very good, been kind of top notch. And uh, if there was one within 15 minutes of me, I'd I'd probably go there. You know, once a week, once every two weeks. But yes, as people who drive across the city regularly for barbecue, this is this is one that you add to the list. If you if you're serious about barbecue, if you've been knocking out Texas Monthly Top Fifty, then Delta Blues is your next stop. Yeah, the the sausage alone is worth a drive across the city, if not further. Uh, then you have the the chicken. I think it was the best smoked chicken I've had in probably a year. The smoked turkey was great. The brisket could use a little bit of work, but it's definitely um, it's definitely getting close. Um, oh, and the, I think it may be the best pork belly I've had in quite a while, too. All right. And then I do just want to briefly discuss one other restaurant. Uh, this is another place that I haven't been in years. You're a, a super fan. Grimaldi's Pizza. The uh, I don't know if it's technically based in New York anymore. The, the national chain, I don't think, is directly affiliated with the Brooklyn original. But coal-fired pizza, we went to the city center location had kind of an up and down experience. Um, I felt like it took a long time for the food to come out and I don't think we got enough. Like the whole point of the coal fired oven is that, is that great char on the bottom. We didn't get a lot of that probably because they were busy, but you're a Grimaldi's fan. How would you rate the version of Grimaldi's that we had for dinner this weekend? I'd go seven out of 10. Um, as of what we got, we didn't get enough char on the, on the dough. And then, um, they oversauced the the red pizza we got, which is kind of a pet peeve of mine. I'm a I'm a big fan of just a little bit of sauce, a little bit of cheese, and let the ingredients shine. Uh, this seemed like they were they were busy. It looked like they just had ninety uh, percent to go orders for people watching football, um, which I think took the temperature of the oven down and um, made them rush a little bit. But the uh, yeah, Grimaldi's. Uh, my wife and I really like it. We like the 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 really charred crust. The uh, it's where we go if we want a pepperoni pizza. Their pepperoni is really spicy and really you know greasy. Good. You get that kind of that crispy foldable uh, Brooklyn New York style uh, blistered pizza. It's completely different than a Neapolitan style uh, pizza. Um, and there, it's it's one of the few in, in town that that do it. So. Yeah, and I will say, I even though it wasn't as charred as we would have liked it to be, I really did like the texture of the crust. I liked the quality of the ingredients. I thought the pepperoni and the Italian sausage were both very good. And then we also got a second pizza with that uh, that white pie, which is just cheese and a crap load of garlic. And I love garlic. I know you do too. And I don't know. I don't know where else in Houston I would go to get a pie quite like that. And I really enjoyed it. So for that reason alone, I think I'd go back to Grimaldi's, but I would, I would more forcefully implore upon our server the degree to which I am not fucking around. I really want the actual char on the crust. Yeah. Um, I know we mentioned that we weren't afraid of the char, but we, we need to say, hey, lady, char the living shit out of the pizza. Um, we want it to look burnt. We're, uh, we're not kidding. We mean it. She seemed to ignore us. Yeah, I yeah, and and then she seemed confused when we were like, we'd been sitting there for half an hour. And we were like, hey, where's our pizza? Yeah, she's like, hey, this is Grimaldi's. It takes an hour. 
We, would, we give you the true Brooklyn experience. Yeah, we don't care. We don't really care about your complaints. Maybe if we'd been, I don't know, maybe if we'd been drinking beer instead of tea, pumped that check up a little bit, she would have been, she would have been a little bit more responsive, or maybe she just, eh. Yeah, to be fair, the pizzas don't normally take that long, so I've never had great service there. I've never had bad service, but it's kind of one of those in-betweeners. Yeah, I, I think it's, a fr- it's frustrating from a diner's perspective. You look around, the dining room was not full. It was maybe somewhere between half and two-thirds, so there were definitely tables available all, all around us. Uh, but they do a brisk to go, and that really that really slowed the pizza down. Yeah, they need to add a second oven if they're going to do that many to goes because it was just an insane amount of to go orders, which the restaurant loves, but the servers have to hate. Right, or they need to prioritize the diners in the dining room over the to go orders and kind of bump us up the queue a little bit. Yeah, uh, not that not that anyone connected with the Grimaldi's and City Center will necessarily be listening to this, but I I put that out into the universe in the hopes that that someone who knows them will pass it along. Yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of the Grimaldi style pizza. So, um, if anyone is listening, you can open one up uh, in uh, the River Oaks area, right next to my apartment. I'd, uh, I'd be uh, I'd be okay with that. Uh, but ju- but you know, better service and uh, quicker pizzas. They'll hire. They need to hire you to consult on the service side. Yeah, but they, it seems like um, they're doing okay with like 200 locations. Right. But still, hire me. I I'll, I'll, I will I will take the job. All right, that does it for our Restaurants of the Week. We'll be right back with Robert Del Grande. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by our friends at 8th Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find 8th Wonder on tap walls and on store shelves all over the city. But there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's a it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston. And there's really no place better to go before a game than Eighth Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their Side Hustle, which is a barrel aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And of course, one of the fun things about Going to 8th Wonders Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently, they added David Attic's 36-foot-tall statues of the Beatles. John, Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident. I don't know. But definitely check out 8th Wonder. Have a beer, have a bite from the Eatsy Boys, and enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to Eighth Wonder, and here is our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by a chef who barely needs an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's the uh, the legendary chef owner of Cafe Annie in the gallery area. He is the first Houston chef to win a James Beard Award. Robert Del Grande, welcome to What's Eric Eating? Oh, thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks for doing this. Wanted to have you on the show. You announced some changes recently at Cafe Annie. You're rolling out a new menu. You've remodeled the space. Um, how long have you been thinking about... Well, let me let me kind of start at the beginning, actually, because about a year and a half ago, you rebranded. You were RDG and Bar Annie, and you changed back to your original name, Cafe Annie. 
How were those changes received? Well, you know, that's interesting because when we, you know, we were, you know, Cafe Annie and Post Oak, we'd been there for 20 years when we moved. And it was a great one of those dilemmas that, you know, you'd like to see how it plays out in the future. But we had moved the restaurants. They were tearing it down. It's all foods now. And then we, the whole building was completely uh, different in size, both upstairs, downstairs. And before that, you know, we started on Westheimer in Augusta, uh, 3,000 square foot, 4,000 square foot restaurant. Right. It's, it's now Jason's Deli. Actually. Yeah, it is Jason's Deli. And uh, it was really, you know, really little. And you talk about kitchens that we used to call it the rowboat kitchen because if someone wanted to get in the kitchen, someone had to get out because there was no room for anybody else to be in. It was so teeny. But when we moved then in 1989 to Post Oak Boulevard, uh, trying to decide what you know to do, the strange thing was was that the building that we were moving into was exactly could of the same dimension as the original Cafe Annie. It was a long rectangular box with with high ceilings, eighteen foot kind of ceilings, and you could just we just sort of took the old Cafe and just stretched it, and like it just fit perfectly. So we did the same wood and so forth. So if you went to the uh, the original one and then went to the new one, you go. I get it. It's, it kind of looks the same. Although some people said, oh, I prefer the old one much better. Uh, and we were sort of like, no, we, we went sort of a Volkswagen to a limousine, I think. I kind of <laughs> like the, you know, I love my Volkswagen, but, you know, this is a limousine. So when we had to move to the new spot, the building was totally different. Nothing that we had there could sort of work. And so the design phase sort of started. And the, and the big problem was if we call it exactly the same thing, called it Cafe Annie, then you'd walk in and go, oh, no, this is not it. You know, this is, I'm in the wrong place, you know. So we thought we had to sort of uh, signal that it was going to be physically very different and look different so when you walked in. So we had used RDG a lot. They've started when we did the, the margarita craze in the beginning of the 90s. We had the RDG margarita because I'm one to, I just call it that because I was the one that sort of making it, you know. So that's sort of how the name sort of came about. And the bar Annie thing was kind of cool and... And everyone was sort of into bar dining. So we did, that's how we came up with the RDG Bar Annie piece. So then we moved and people, there was this sort of, uh, this great sadness that it wasn't called Cafe Annie anymore. And I said, it's still us. You know, it's just, just still the same people. But uh, the thing I learned was that, uh, you know, people not only cherish their, their memories, but the thread that holds them together, which is kind of the important sort of thing. And we sort of cut that thread in a way. Um, and they were when we said we're going to change it back because people have been saying it since we first moved the new location, and so I sort of said, you know, that's kind of that's kind of fun. In the midst of the problem that we were calling it Cafe Annie and RDG Bar Annie at the same time, because you know twenty we were twenty nine years at that point, pretty hard to get out of your head when you answer the phone, Cafe Annie. I mean, so when we changed it, the, the lesson I learned, I, told, I asked somebody, they said, this is so great, this is so great. I said, well, you know what. Um, you know, the place just looks so different. You know, that's why we sort of change it. And they said, oh, we don't care about that. You know, we just like the name. We just want to keep the thread. I mean, I saw that's kind of where it came from. So the lesson was keep track of the thread that ties it all together, I think. So, so, you ha- so you've had a year, basically, or a year and a half, basically, as, as Cafe Annie once again. How has that been received? I mean, are, we're, I mean the people were excited about the name change, is it, has it lured new diners? Have you, have you drawn people into the restaurant? 
Well, you know, oh, so, I heard about this place, and now I'm now I gotta go. Yeah, well, it, it was a little bit of that always hearing about the stories and wanting to go back to find out about about what that was all about, and so it did kind of generate this. Yeah, we always heard this bit, and I think it's like in music. My daughter, you know, she was remember when she was growing up. I walk into her bedroom one day, and she has like a Bob Marley poster on the wall, and I'm saying. Oh no no we 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 listened to Bob Marley. He died you know? before you were born. Like, yeah, you have I, no connection. Like way back, you know. And, yeah. and she's saying, "Oh no no, we love you know Bob Marley." And then there's a Bob Dylan poster on the wall, you know. So this it's kind of like. And I said, "So why you uh, why you like Bob Marley, Bob Dylan besides the Bob thing?" I guess I don't know. And uh, and she said, "Oh, you know they're legends. I mean, we love that stuff." So I think that happens all the time. There's a little bit of this. The next generation at some point wants to go back and and kind of be part of those things that sort of happened. Hard to be a part of uh, Bob Marley, but you know you could still be a part of Bob Dylan. So right. So do you kind of is that kind of where you how you think of Cafe Annie is kind of a a legend that people you want people to kind of come back and experience. Yeah, and I think um, the only thing, whether, the, you know, the word legend or not, I mean, that gets banded around pretty easy. But I think it's just a series of stories and events and time markers and memories along the way that sort of, oh, this sort of happened and this is where it sort of happened. And it, it could only be a legend if people can remember it, you know. So as long as they can remember stuff, you sort of go along with it. And uh, and I think as I'd... I'd was joking with somebody that uh, that it's only later that they say you were making history. You didn't know it at the time. It was just another Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, you're just blowing along saying, I don't know. We're going to see what sort of happens. And then later, it's like, wow. Right. I, I, I don't know. The steak, the steak fell in the coffee. We might as well uh, serve it. Kind of how it went, you know, pretty much. And just said, hey, this is kind of cool. And then, uh, and that's a funny story because I did it at home at Christmas. And it was... You know, you, the thoughts in your mind, because I had a friend that had mentioned it and so forth, and the coffee spilled over the counter, I'd just kind of roll it. And my joke was that it's only the relatives, you know. <laughs> so, uh, And then it was really good. And then, to be completely honest, hey, that was great. Yeah, great. And then we did, I never did it for, I thought, maybe I'll do it every Christmas. And then uh, I needed something. It was a ridge wine dinner. We needed a main course. And, and I had talked about it and said, we should do that coffee thing you keep talking about. And we did it then, and it was really well received. And then we didn't do it again for about another year or so. And then somebody said, we should do it. And then we finally started doing it for a while, and things sort of took off. But so if it was like, if I could see, oh, this will be the biggest thing. No. I only, I only did it once and thought it was okay. You know, yeah. It was tasty. You know? Right. And now coffee roasted fillet is on menus all over the world. Yeah, and it just takes off in every which direction you think. I should have known that it would take off. But I had no idea. I was like, okay. You know, so. so when did you when did you make this decision that you wanted to shift the menu at Cafe Annie a little bit into I don't want to call it a steakhouse, but but steaks are getting a new pride of place on the Cafe Annie. Yeah, well, you know, we always um, well, you're always I think this whole problem of moving forward and returning to things. You know, always feel like I'm going forward and going back to stuff. And I could tell you my history. I always liked beef and sort of growing up around it the grilled steak and stuff always thought it was very tasty um and so i was very comfortable with it and when i started so this is 
when I really got serious about uh, uh, cooking, it was in the late sort of 70s and those, the French Nouvelle Cuisine chefs were coming out with books. It was on the menu, this cote de bouffe, this steak, uh, and, they were, and then you'd, there'd be pictures of this beef. And it was amazing that we were sort of as Americans admiring French beef, not knowing that they were admiring our beef <laughs> in, in reverse. But I always liked that, the big uh, bone and steak sort of carved and so forth back in the, in the 70s. I never under, and the recipe that always puzzled me because it was, uh, you know, it was in French. It was sort of, uh, you translate it in English as to it was a rib steak with coarse salt. That was the that was the dish, and the recipe was steak with coarse salt. You know, and we're like, and this is before all the sea salt, Florida cell sort of stuff. And we were always going, so it's steak with salt, right? That's the famous dish, you know, and you think, okay. And then finally you come to realize, oh, no, it is. It has to be the big grains of salt on this roasted thing, and that's how simple it could be. So I, uh, I always had admired that, that sort of piece. In the beginning, in, in the early 80s, there was a strange thing that if you – I remember this – was that um, to be a really sort of innovative great chef – you didn't have a steak on your menu. You, you weren't going to... And people sort of looked down at steakhouses at the time. Oh, it's a steakhouse. It was too simple, too straightforward. And I kind of liked them. You know, I didn't think there was anything wrong. With it. But we always had beef, always sort of did it. And so I said, yeah, I wonder why they don't want to do that. But it was some, one of those, in order to be a rebel, you got to rebel against something. So find it, you know, and just whatever you want it to be. And that's kind of how it worked. And then it all just, you know, it goes kind of hyperbolic for a while. And then it comes back and... And then you find out. So because I know everybody across the country, people come to Houston Chefs on a cookbook tour and so forth, and they would come by to eat after doing a cooking demonstration or class. Hey, you want something to eat? And guess what they all want? Steak and French fries. I mean, virtually all, I just want steak and French fries. You know, and then you go, okay, so, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm going to rebel against my favorite food. That didn't make any sense either. But I mean, did you eat it? Some of the steakhouses around town. I mean, I, I know you and you and Chris Shepard have a, a little bit of a relationship. Like, did did you go to one fifth, and have that experience where he's cooking on cast iron and, and kind of tweaking the sides a little bit, and think that there was maybe a, a way to do a, a chef like to focus on cooking the steaks really well and have like a, a chef's perspective on them, or or was this was it more about something that you were kind of doing on your own? Um, you know, it's I think it's never one thing. It's always twisted and tangled bits of threads that sort of fit together but uh let's see i, I can go back and say i guess what i'm asking is were there steak experiences that made you like as a as a diner that made you want to like do this as a chef uh yes so one let me think that my daughter went to tcu fort worth um and we would always go visit her at tcu which i loved it was a great sort of weekend uh, and then I realized, oh, the parents are coming to town. That means we're all going out to dinner, right? So uh, I don't know how they announced that part, but they knew we were coming. And I said, well, where would you like to go? And we always went to steakhouses, which Fort Worth has got a bunch of them. I said, why do you guys want to go to steakhouses? Particularly when they were freshmen and sophomore. And the reason was that, Dad, we eat at the University Commons. 
uh, they can do, they can cook chicken in more ways than you can believe. We eat chicken every day. So every once in a while, she said, they have a steak night. And guess what? You can't even eat it. You know, so that's all they want to do. So these, and they were all girls, so we'd go out to the steakhouse. And I think, oh, they'll probably just split one, right? No, they eat the whole steak. You know, so uh, when they then, so I said, okay, that's fine. But what I got from it, I mean, all of them, because the steak, the beef is all coming from the same sort of, you know, purveyors. They're all buy from the same people. It was always sort of a uh, uh, killer. Sometimes the vegetable's not quite the greatest, but, you know, it was never their expertise anyway. But the thing I learned was the convivial feel of it. I had the best time. The great meal was just being with everybody and, and it was a sense, something beyond the sort of the food, you know. And so I think that was kind of the part of it, this sort of convivial space. It's a great way to get together and enjoy something. Uh, then, you know, Chris Shepard and I are sort of, you know, friends. And we did some dinners together. I remember he, when he won the Beard Award, we did this little switch where I cooked at his place, sort of emulating his style. He cooked at my place. And he did this sort of slow-cooked beef. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was just like, wow, you know. And I think even Chris said, wow, pretty good, right? <laughs> said, you know, I said, yeah, isn't it weird when you, you're saying, wow, it's your own stuff? He says, no, but it was really, really good. So even then it was like, you know, to, to recognize that, uh, you know, beef's pretty good, really good. And then downstairs you're doing, you, you're remodeling a little bit. You're going to slide the entrance and, and use that space as a, you're calling it the prime room. Yeah. Uh, and you're doing a, a prefix menu down there, starting with prime rib. I know you talked about this at a dinner you hosted for some media members, but um, why prime rib? Well, I think, um, well, talk about the thread of memories. You know, it's one that always uh, stuck in my mind sort of growing up. I think we, they never called it prime rib. They called it standing rib roast, I think. It was always around some holiday Christmas or something. And it always seemed like the lavish sort of thing that was always had a sort of myth and magic sort of surrounding it. So that kind of goes back when you're a kid. Oh, how? And then you sort of carve and so forth. And we also we went out to dinner. When I was younger, you got to dinner. And sometimes we'd go to like a prime rib house. And I remember once the trolley comes by and they sort of carve it. And I thought it was always sort of, you know, sort of killer. So I always, and I thought it's just one of those uh, foods that's best purchased by the best and try not to ruin it, you know, embellish it a little bit. So I sort of started there. We did it every New Year. We've done it every New Year's Eve since I can remember. And it was always a blast. And again, maybe this is just our problem. We do it once and then we don't do it again. You know, the only problem with Prime Ribbon, why the Prime Room is that it's very hard to do it in a big menu for a large room. It needs sort of something smaller around it where it's more limited. So if you have six different fish and chicken and steak and then prime rib it just gets lost it's a festival food you know it's a big family sort of gathering so i thought it would start there because if it's either prime rib or i think as we said or oysters there's two things that you that you just try to leave alone the best you can and then so what is the so when is the prime room open i think we're going to open it after uh thanksgiving okay uh and instead of opening thanksgiving week Although I thought that was would be a fun idea. It's a big turkey week, and we're going to open do prime rib. <laughs> it just seems sort of, uh, although, you know, talk about rebel. It's different from this James Beard story about 
James, well, what, do, what do you cook on Thanksgiving? Well, prime rib. I'm not, I'm not excited about turkey, and he would always do prime rib on Thanksgiving. <laughs> but so we're going to do it after, just uh, the week after Thanksgiving, if all falls into place. We would have it uh, done already, except the major remodeling happened on the weekend of Harvey, which oh. threw everything absolutely into a, a, into a confused state. I do want to ask you kind of one other one other thing. I noticed uh, on Allison Cook ranks the top 100 Houston restaurants. 2016, you were somewhere in the 20s, and then this year you were dropped off the list entirely. Did you did you talk to her about that? Did you know that that was coming? I mean, has that has that had any effect on the restaurant at all? No, uh, no, not really. And it, it yeah, you know, it's a little puzzling, but I think. I, I think it says more about Allison than it says about me or Cafe Annie, I think. Um, and because, so when I started, for example, uh, I always try to be honest about those things, you know. We were young, reckless, wild, mercurial in terms of zigging and zagging. Uh, I was always would call it sort of the insanity of the compass point just spinning around and around and around, you know. And we would do things off the wall, and nothing seemed to connect. And but we were always looking for some sort of, I don't know, you know, some sort of founding principle, some sort of piece that we can anchor ourselves to. I think the uh, the Southwest cuisine sort of movement in the ladies was very helpful because we were copying everybody we could, imitating the French, and so. And all of a sudden, we could do something that we could actually attach the word home to. This was sort of sort of ours, you know. Uh, and then along the way, we kind of sort of came to this idea that uh, uh, attracted to the timeless thing. Could you do something that was timeless? Like we said, the oyster one is they're always good, still good, will always be good, you know. And then you sort of become not so mercurial, not changing every time the wind blows one way or the other. So I think we've tried to get into a little bit of that standard bearing thing. Now, Alice, I mean, I've known for a long time and I don't, I don't know, maybe her compass is spinning around in circles and she's trying to figure out <laughs> what direction she's going. But the interesting thing about it, and maybe this is for you, I mean, I, uh, debatable. My, my opinion in a sea of opinions would be, uh, I thought that, I'm surprised that Alice has sort of succumbed to doing a top whatever list. I thought you gave that up after high school. <laughs> you know, we used to write in our lockers the top greatest songs of all time, and everybody had this list. And then you realize that there's no foundation to it. I mean, it's each is supposed to be on its own, you know, like be incomparable. I don't know what you think about it, but I always, every time I said, when I was, what, what's your top 10 wines? I said, ugh, you know. I mean, I, I will tell you as, as just a, a human being that, you know, what are your top five movies? What are your top five songs? What are your, you know, what are your top five restaurants? I mean, we like to categorize things. We, we like do. to, we and, do, yeah. and as a writer who looks at the traffic to websites, you know, the top 10, this, the top seven, that the top 12, that, I mean, that really moves the needle. People like, people like when you kind of cut through, have an opinion, defend it a little bit and, and that they can, and that they can argue with, that they can go onto Facebook and call you an idiot, and you know that's that kind of there dynamic is is that's why very I stay, that's why I stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> calling you an idiot. But. No, I think you're right because uh, it was sort of how do you say who you are? I mean, you're my movie list, you know, but. Sure. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm basically channeling the, the movie High Fidelity with this, but, yes. you know, yes. the, the things that we like help define kind of who we are, right? If, if you're a, you know, I would say that I am less likely to be friends with someone who hates Mad Men and loves uh, the Big Bang Theory than someone who likes Mad Men and hates the Big Bang Theory, right? That, that, that the, the things that we care about show the signs of our worldview. And, and I think that comes with restaurants too. You know, I, w- I went on a date with a woman uh, several months ago. She was like, man, you know, I just, I love Benji's. It's like my favorite restaurant. And we always go to Taste of Texas for every birthday. And, and she's a really nice person. And, and I was happy to have the time with her. But I, I knew right away, like this, this wasn't going to work out. That, that the way we see, the things we value in restaurants are too different. And restaurants are too important to me. I knew it wasn't going to work out. Hey, Taste of Texas makes some great steaks, okay? And they make a and they make a crap ton of money, and they serve people every day that that really love it. And it's just not for me. And so, so no, I like lists in that sense because people people like them, and and I like to write them. You know, I've made no secret I want to do my own top one hundred someday. Uh, because it, it defines what we think is important. It's, it's a way to say, these are the things that are important to me. And so, so, I, and so I, I'm not trying to harass you about this or anything, but, but it, it surprised me as someone who, who reads Allison and, and who's certainly been some of the, the things that I value in restaurants have been shaped by her opinions, that you dropped from, I, I, I want to say it was 22 or 23 to, to off the list, and I think I just, we were 19. Yeah. yeah. She seemed to love the transformation back to Cafe Annie. And so I was just wondering if, if you had gotten any feedback about what happened. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I just, um, I don't think we've changed all that much from one year to the next, you know. Um, and I don't think anybody changes that much from one year to the next. Because if you, if you are, I'm not, I'm not sure. But, um, but I don't know. I think, so, because on the this topic, which is interesting, is that, uh, as you say, those, those sort of lists, sort of defining sort of things, here's my top 10 of this or that, you know, and you're free to, and you're free to change them whenever you, you sort of want, you know, and discussion points. But so I have a, a friend, he's kind of a music nut, and you ask me his top 10 songs, I guarantee you, you've not heard of any of them. <laughs> I mean, it is so obscure. And so you're like, really, do, did you, and so you go, okay, but that's just who, like you say, it's sort of who he is. And you say, well, what about this? But the other one I think it's always, then you mentioned movies, because I think I always liked High Fidelity. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was kind of really, really good. But I found sometimes that, um, hey, this is a great movie. It's one of my favorites. And someone says, oh, no, you're right, but I, I don't feel like watching it. I'm not in the mood for it. You know, so then it gets even more complex. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. I'm not in the mood for it right now. It's sort of like um, if you really feel like a, a steak and they take you to the top seafood restaurant, you're like, oh, you know, I just wasn't that mood. So but but I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I've known Allison for a long time. We have sort of conversations every once in a while, but I just sort of try to stay out of it and try to 
keep the compass point as steady as possible, you know. And I think everyone at the restaurant, they just think, I mean, I hope because you hate for this to happen. But, you know, the word, the phrase I heard was, uh-oh, there goes her credibility because this doesn't make any sense, you know. And all of a sudden it's like I have to make my top ten list so unique to me only that no one else even gets it, you know. So, I mean, but most customers these days, I mean, I think you know, uh, it used to be that the, that no one went out during the week and the, the critic went to a restaurant and you read the review and then everybody went. Now, uh, I think people eat out as much, if not more, than the critics. Sometimes <laughs> they eat out just all the time. Oh, yeah. And they have their own minds made up and – you know, it, uh, they go, they're, they're, I think, less influenced now. Or, uh, as my daughter said, I mean, she's that younger generation, said, do you read the food cricket? What do you do? She says, oh, Dad, I just ask my friends. I just ask my friends. You know, so you go, okay. So, I, I mean, that's just. A, a good review seems to help a restaurant. A bad review does not seem to hurt a restaurant. Seems to be where we're at. Uh yeah, and then sometimes... Sometimes a bad review helps a restaurant. Sometimes a bad review helps. Sometimes a great review does nothing because there have been some really good restaurants that... Yeah, like, that's very true. Like, like well, it didn't work. So it's a, it's a major mystery. Yeah, how it, it works. It, it, I think uh, the, the cheaper you are, the, the more affordable you are as a restaurant, the more impact a good review is going to get for you. Because um, then people are going to go, oh, that, that restaurant's only co- going to cost me $15. You know, yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm more likely to go. Yeah, well, there's something about like in a sea of essentially infinite burger choices, hearing like, hey, that place has a really great burger, helps yeah. them stand out a little bit. I think for fine dining, I think the people who like those kind of restaurants generally want to check them all out, regardless of whether I or anybody else says it's good or bad. Yeah. And, and then the new thing seems to be seen. The, the seen and be seen has a lot to do with the success of restaurants nowadays. Yeah, Barani had some of that when it first opened. Oh, yeah, it was like ever, you know, you just, as I say, it's a very sort of complex function with things that are going on. Because if you look uh, chiefly at what people are eating, you, you can't always figure that that part out, you know. So, um, and we cook things, like I'm, I'm saying that the, the chef is not an artist that says, here, you eat it. We take orders, you know. I want a filet medium well. Absolutely, you know. And it's like, I remember that Wolfgang Puck saying, yeah, look, at the customer orders, you do it. You know, that's what, that's what our job is. We're not here to say. Yeah. You yeah, know? No, there's definitely an art, especially in the, at the fine dining level, but there's also a, an element of craftsmanship, right? No one says, the plumber can't say, well, I don't, uh, you know, you're not a novelist. I, I don't feel like fixing a toilet today, right? That doesn't, and it's just, it's the oh, same for the steak, for a chef, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like grilling these steaks today. It's like, well... Uh, get back in the kitchen and turn yeah, the stove on. you order it, and that's why you're sort of there. And I think it's – and the emphasis on craft, I think. Craft is a good one. It's – you know, and, and I always say that it's – you know, sometimes it's, it's just dinner. Yeah. You, know? you want you know, something to eat. We sure, are here to, good. to take your money for a product. We want to give you the best product we can for the money. We want you to leave happy. Yeah, and everybody gets – you know, it's hard work, and if you – if you look behind the scenes about how hard everybody actually has to work, and if you've ever washed dishes in a restaurant, yeah. you get, you know, 
you spend you, 12 hours washing dishes, then you'll have a new appreciation of the restaurant industry. That's for yeah, sure. And I, and I said, yeah, I'm... Uh, I think every food writer in the city should should do a, a, a service. A dish yeah, running, running dishes. Well, you really, you know, you just see... Thanks for that. Yes. Uh, I'll set that up for you. How about that? Yeah, and, and, and usually they have to mop the floors, too, and yeah. pull the mats and do the, this. The whole, the whole thing. They got to... I gotta mop the, the well, floors and everything. We used to do it for a while because it's interesting dynamic. Was that uh, the line cooks? You know, they can be hot shots, whatever. And then when they're done, they they clean their station and just unload on the dishwasher. So I, said, I got an idea. Why don't you get back there and see what it looks like, and maybe you'll change the way you do it. You know, versus just dump it on the guy. He's just like, whoa. But you know, it's it's tough. And I'm I'm uh, I'm trying my best to learn how to cook at home again to be a really good home cook you know because it's a different uh without completely destroying your kitchen yeah and uh and i have not solved the problem of doing the the dishes i'm working on that part of how you get around that but for us i mean i don't get out that much i'm working most of the time but uh uh mimi says let's go out to dinner I said, why? She says, because I ain't doing the dishes. <laughs> you know, that's, and I mentioned to Chris Shepard, he said, man, I get the same speech. We're going out because we're not doing the dishes, you know. And then you say you pay the check and you leave and you get home and the kitchen's clean, and, but someone's still doing the dishes. Someone's yeah. out there making it happen. It's, and it's, you know, uh, sometimes on a given night, you know, it all depends how you want to look at it because you can look at a restaurant as like, really cool, really exciting. Also. Or you can look at it as just being nuts. Like whose idea was this? All the running around and things. And so when the, you know, you go out to dinner, you pay the check and you leave, and then someone's going to do all this steam and water and stuff, you know? I always want to go back and thank everybody. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you guys cleaning up, you know, because I don't have to do it. But, you know, you just don't want people to lose that, that uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain there. There's a lot, lot uh, going on. Well, and I mean, Robert, you, you've been a part of this world for, for almost 40 years. I, you've seen so many changes. Uh, you've led a lot of those changes, the use of local ingredients and, and incorporating you know, Mexican elements into your cooking. Do you have a sense of kind of what's next or, or what you would like to see happen over the next five or ten years? I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen next week. <laughs> no, I think um, so. I think that's. I mean, that's a. That's not. Is that true? False question or an essay question? It's more of an essay question. Essay but, question. but we're uh, we're running we're running long, which is a, the beauty of this medium is that you can you can be a little bit expensive. I, I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I. Well, no, I also just, don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you. You're one of you're one of the deep thinkers in in Houston restaurants, and I I want to take advantage of the opportunity. Oh well, I appreciate that. But no, you know, when I came to to town in 1980, 81, I mean, it was a little bit of sort of a you know a country club kind of cuisine, so to speak. You know, there wasn't if you ordered like tarragon, it came in a can. You know, so it was it was just use was at that point of just trying to figure out how it works. So now. Then you go through, everything is available. The product is really beautiful, and you have sort of the farmer's market, local sort of scene and so forth. So that's, I think that needs to continue. I mean, people need to think about uh, sustainability quite a bit because we can 
consume things faster than they can replenish sometimes. It would be nice to see uh, um, I guess what I really I would really like to see I guess is that or my fear, is it a fear? What is it? Is it a fear? Is it a concern? Is it a, what category put that in? Is that not to lose the sense of magic of food or restaurants or people sort of cooking. And I, I think sometimes if I would, I think that sort of cell phones has sort of diminished our appreciation of magic, you know, that first, can you believe my phone's not working? It's too slow. It's just that, and like, eh, still kind of magical to me i you know when i got here we used to have a quarter in your pocket to pull over to service station and find a payphone. so then to think of what all the cooks are doing and so forth just to realize that you know really good food it's, it's still kind of a miracle it still has a magical kind of quality sort of to it and so they there again is that i don't want the the seasons and the food to conform to me i need to sort of more conform to what's in season what things are that sort of sense of appreciation though. every time someone says uh you know, I just don't like this. It's never starting to go down like it. He said, whoa, you know, someone had to go out in the Gulf and get that thing. And someone had to, you know, there's just at some point or in the markets, we're just so used to going to the supermarket, just seeing all this food and thinking, I don't know. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like this. And I'm going, God, can you believe this? It's so I think that kind of, that's what I see happen. I, the cooks are very excited. Everyone seems excited about it. But just be sure that we have the sense of what it takes to put that food on the table. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thought. I like that. Uh, Robert Del Grande, we have reached the, the end of this interview. Um, we do have the lightning round. Five, five easy questions, five short answers. Oh. <laughs> Make them true-false. All right. <laughs> uh, what, is the, uh, what is the first restaurant you ever worked at? Uh, Baskin Robbins, if you call it a restaurant. Absolutely. We do. Yeah. That counts. Uh, who's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh. Nolan Ryan. Good what answer. Is your, that's a great answer. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? What do you, what do you get when you go to a drive-thru? Oh, I was going to say, uh, if you call it fast food, it'd be donuts. But uh, 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 Shipley's count. Some Shipley's have drive-thrus. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, sort of, I always thought donuts are fast food, you know? Yeah. Cup of coffee and a donut, you know? Uh, what is the first concert you ever saw? You know what? Uh, San Francisco, Fillmore West, Santana. Oh, Ooh. yeah. It's a great answer. All right. And then finally, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Oh, I, I know that answer. Uh, it's the, it's the kitchen at Cafe Annie. Those guys in the back, I'm telling you what, yeah. that, you know, it may not be the most commercially viable product, but they make some killer stuff. <laughs> As we always say like, yeah, so good. Private stash tacos. Uh, Robert, thank you so much. We can follow you on Instagram at Robert Del Grande, Cafe Annie Houston for all the latest news about the restaurant and and reservations. And certainly uh, Nathan and I will be at the prime room as soon as that launches at the end of the month. Nathan Ketchum, we can follow you on Twitter at H-Town Food Junkie. We still haven't shamed you into a new Twitter handle. One day. It's a good one, though. It's a good one. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Uh, This is my periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast 
on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, I will take your comments and your ratings, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if they're five stars and only if they're nice. I will be back next week with Aaron Lyons from Dish Society. Thanks so much for listening.